but I'm going to start off. If you guys want to pray with me, that would be fantastic. So, Father God, thank you so much that we have today, Father, that we are able to come together um, and worship you and hear your word, Father. And, and I just pray right now that you would, you would use me, that you would um, use what I have to say to glorify your kingdom. Um, and Father, um, as, as the song that we sang last there says, not, not through me, but through Christ, that's, that's the only way that we can do this. So I just, I thank you that you're with me um, and that you're with us this morning as we move through Revelation, Father. So just bless this word and bless the, the people who are here with me. In your name, amen. Right, so we are continuing, continuing on with Revelation this week. Um, so we've got the slides up there, um, the map. We've got, we talked about Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum last week. And so this week we're going to be tackling the next two we're going to talk about. And now I'm not sure if I have the pronunciation right, but Thyatira, Thyatira, something along those lines, and Sardis. So, a couple of things to look at before we really jump into this, and I know we've kind of talked about it the last couple of weeks, but it's really important to recognize that with Revelation, there was a lot said throughout these letters and throughout the book that was specifically designed for the people that the letters were written to. So a lot of it, we can read it and we can be like, hmm, what exactly does that mean? Meanwhile, the people that were sitting there in their, in their homes or in their churches in Sardis and, you know, the Asian province there, um, they would have known exactly what was being said because it is some very direct wording and direct um, examples of things that they knew at that time. So the two that we're looking at, again, Thyatira and Sardis. Thyatira can be considered the Jezebel church. And we'll talk about that in a second here. And Sardis is the dead church. Not really something you want to be known for, right? So what exactly does this mean? So we're going we're gonna to look at Thyatira first here. And so you can go to the next slide there, Dell. So much with the previous week with the letters, we're going to kind of look at all the different aspects, um, the pattern throughout. So if you want to go to Thyatira, please. There we are. So, a few notes before I really get into it. Um, this was a, a relatively unknown church. Um, pretty inconsequential compared to a lot of the ones that were the Asian churches. Um, Apollo was the patron deity um, in this area. So that's going to be important Apollo was the patron deity. They were really well-known for their bronze working, their metal working, and he was the one that was kind of overseeing that industry. Um, and Jesus starts off by referring to himself as the Son of God. What this is is in contrast to Apollo, who is the son of Zeus. He's kind of considered the son of God in a lot of um, that Greek religion, uh, Roman religion there. So that's a very strong kind of way of saying, hey, I'm actually the one that has the power here, not Apollo. 
the next thing that we we see is that um, he describes himself as being uh, uh, feet like burnished bronze, right? Um, again, that's a directly spoken to the church of Thyatira um, because of their bronze working. So they're saying, he's saying, like, my, my feet are worth more than everything that you do. He's essentially saying, I'm ahead of the other gods that you're following. So, the, the commendation. Um, they are commended by Jesus in this letter for growing in love, and it's evidenced in their deeds of service. So in verse 19, he says, I know your works, your love, and your faith, and service, and patient endurance. And what he says about that is that your latter works exceed the first. So what we're being told there is they're, they're doing better. They're getting better at what they're doing. So they started out, you know, they were feeding the poor, and then hmm, now we're going to include the widows in there. And you know what? On top of that, let's provide housing for those who don't have it. So they're getting better and better at what they're doing, right? They started their social programs, for instance, and kept adding to it and growing and getting better at it and putting more Christ into it. So really encouraging to see that, right? We want to grow and get better at what we're doing. Um, it's important to note that they're doing really good things because then when we look at the rebuke, even though they're doing really good things, it's outweighed a little bit by what they are not doing. So, the rebuke. The rebuke is that they have lack of discernment and toleration for heresy. That's a pretty pretty strong accusation there. Um, but verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, remember that, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So, again, pretty, pretty strong wording there. We need to address the whole Jezebel thing. That's, that's kind of the, the key here. So, we remember who Jezebel is um, from the Old Testament, right? Realistically, this, this isn't necessarily saying that this person is named Jezebel. It could be a real person. It could be a real woman that is within the community that is stirring this up. But what the, the key message is, and again, remember that they have, they have this written in a way that is, is directed for things from their memory and from their teaching, things that they're going to know. So Jezebel from the Old Testament... Um, she gave herself a lot of power, and she led people to destruction, essentially. Um, there was a lot, of, a lot of sin, a lot of moral issues. Uh, she had people tempted. She killed believers um, and prophets. So this thought, this idea of somebody that is deceptive and, deceive, uh, deceptive and um, misleading... That is what we're looking at here. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at somebody coming into the church and saying, hey, 
I speak on behalf of God, and he's telling you it's okay to do this. When you have somebody who's self-appointed themselves as a prophet, that's kind of a red flag. And that's exactly what's happened here. Jesus specifically says that. She calls herself a prophetess. So she gave herself power, not God. So she represents that, idolat- uh, that ideology um, that the sacred and the secular can be compartmentalized. So what was going on here was even though, you know, at church and everything they were doing good work, she was saying, but it's still okay to... So we'll, we'll double back here to the industry, the bronze working and everything. Um, within business at this time, um, a lot of times there were, when you made a deal, there were perks to that deal, and there was some sort of um, sealing of that deal, some sort of celebration, um, kind of like today, you know, the handshake. Well, it was, a little, it was a little more back then. A lot of times there were, there were some pretty uncouth things that happened. Um, there were some sexually immoral things, uh, and not even just that, but some of the business practices themselves weren't good. There was uh, sacrifices made to Apollo or other deities. Um, So there was a lot of this stuff happening. And she was saying, that's okay. That's separate from what you believe with God. What you do at church is one thing. And what you do at home or in your place of work is another. Does that sound like it's okay? Jesus is telling us it's really not okay. (laughs) Um. So, realistically, kind of when we look at that today, what we do in our own businesses or in our places of work or when we buy a new vehicle, um, any deal that we make, we still have to conduct ourselves as Christians, right? As followers of Christ. We don't just get to say, um, you know, I'm stepping out of the church, and now it's okay for me to... I'm, I'm not, I don't even have a good example. Um, actually, I do have a good example. So in a previous town that I lived in, um, it, it startled me, but um, there was a car dealership. And every person that... <laughs> it's ridiculous. Every person that purchased a vehicle from this dealership, when the deal was done... One of the managers would come by, and they would offer to take you to a room and do a line together, a line of cocaine, I'm guessing. I'm not really up on drug terminology, ter- terminology, but that was one of the things. And I heard it from many people. So that was kind of the same thing here, right? So they were having, they've got this little ritual of theirs where you buy a vehicle from us and, yeah, here's a line for you. As a Christian, if I was to go in and be like, well, I'm not at church, sure. No, that's not the way this works. Secular life and spiritual life are not compartmentalized, right? It's all one and the same. We actually have to live out our Christianity outside of the church as well as within the church. So... Hmm. 
Sorry, I lost my place. I lost my place. I'm not shaking, so I'm actually doing really good right now. So as far as what it means for today, like I said, we still have to, we have to kind of, not kind of, we have to maintain what we believe in church outside of the church walls as well. So, I mean, yeah, I'm not worshiping Buddha. I'm not out having an affair. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is good. Um, but we can still get really caught up in a lot of those other things. And it's not even just that. We can get caught up in things that aren't necessarily ritualistic, quote-unquote, but we can have other things that are taking us away from God, our time with God, away from our Christian life. Facebook. Hopefully I didn't step on toes there, but Facebook. It's one of those big things, right? And the news these days, especially with the plethora of things that are going on in our world. Um, we can really get stuck in a lot, of, a lot of things that make us fearful, or we just get caught up in all these articles that we see on Facebook, and they pull us in 20 different directions. Well, in reality, I mean, this is the article that we need to be paying attention to, right? This is the one that we need to look to. There's a lot of misinformation out there, and really the Bible is, is what we want to be focusing on. So I think I kind of uh, jumped in a little bit to the solution there already, obviously, <laughs> the Bible being part of it. Um, but really, his solution, Jesus, what he's calling us to do is to hold fast and keep Christ's works until the end. So holding fast, what does that mean? Well, you know, when you go buy that car, no, don't do the line of coke. I, I would say that's probably fairly obvious, but I mean, we just, we need to, obviously it wasn't obvious, right? People were believing that they could separate church life and, and other life, uh, even though it is all one life. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're to come back to that. We're to come back to following what Christ has laid out for us. Um, so even those who are following the Jezebel life, um, those who are looking at it and, and separating, we can still, we can come back. And those who aren't already following, keep doing what you're doing. Keep on that path. So the consequences, the consequences for disobedience. Um, so the simple way of saying it is, and I, it's laid out right there in, in the verses, um, each will be given as their works deserve. So the, it, it uses some pretty good language there. Um, I didn't go into it too much in my notes, but there's some pretty strong language as to how it's going to be, how people are going to be dealt with. Um, it says... Uh, that anybody who, who lays with her is going to essentially be ill. Um, her children will be put to death. Um, the children in, in reference here is anybody who's following this um, heretical lifestyle, right? People who aren't actually living out the Christian 
life outside of the church. Anyone who is not doing what they're supposed to, a.k.a. following Jesus, living out the gospel, they're going to... They're, they're not going to... Um, hmm. Trying to, I'm trying to reword this because I didn't put it very well in my notes. If we continue strain, we're going to answer for what we've done, essentially. Right? So we're going to pay for what we've done to a degree to which we've done it. If that makes sense. I'm hoping that makes sense. So the promise, though, for those who are staying the course... They're going to be given the morning star and authority over the nations. So later on in Revelation here in chapter 22, there's a reference Jesus makes to himself that he is the morning star. So when he says that we're, we're going to be given the morning star, he's saying that we're going to be given him. We're going to have a close, connected relationship with Christ. If we stay the course and we continue living out our Christianity, we are going to have a close relationship. We're being promised an everlasting relationship, right? This is reiterating essentially what we've been told in the Gospels. Ruling over the nations, that can be a little bit of a confusing one for people because there are some schools of thought that say the Christians are going to rise to the top and, you know, become the dictators so to speak, the benevolent dictators. Um, That's not really what is being said here. What it is is that we're going to inherit God's kingdom. And we're told that again throughout the gospel, throughout the epistles. We are going to inherit God's kingdom. That's what this is. So we're we're, we're being told we're going to have a relationship with Jesus and we're going to inherit the kingdom. So in short... To wrap this up, or wrap up Thyatira, um, the church that tolerates false teaching and corrupt morality is going to receive judgment. Not something we really, it's not really that positive of a note, right? But that's what's going to happen. And those who hold fast to the true gospel are going to receive the ultimate reward, Right? We're going to receive Jesus and that everlasting life and inherit the kingdom. So through, through this letter to Thyatira, what, what's God talking about to us this morning? He wants us to continue doing the things that glorify his kingdom and continue living out the gospel as it was written, not as someone else comes along and tells us, you can compromise here and do this. We're to live out the gospel as Jesus presented it to us. And we can't lose sight of the things that please God in all of it. We want to make sure that our focus is on God. Um, And now I'll quickly touch on Sardis. So if you want to go ahead and flip it over to Sardis. Perfect. Okay. So, quick little background on Sardis. Uh, about 600 years before this letter was written to them, uh, the city had been thought to be impregnable. It was, it had like the wall between Mexico and the United States, right? It was secure. It was sitting on top of a steep hill, 
and constantly people were attacking. People were trying to get in, but they couldn't. Um, eventually, uh, an invading army from Persia had some who found a way to scale the steep cliffs and sneak into the city in the night. Nobody expected it, and the city fell because of it. The city was brought to its knees and humbled because a few were able to sneak into the city. So it was a lesson that uh, was learned and not soon forgotten. So Sardis was devastated by a massive earthquake as well in the first century. So they were still doing a lot of rebuilding from that, um, and it really never got back to its former glory. Um, Yeah, it it pretty much, I, I wrote that its best days had already been lived, and now it was kind of a relic from a past time. So the commendation. Verse 4, you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. Uh, <laughs> reading on this, there's a lot, of, a lot of theory about the whole soiled garments thing, nothing really specific. But realistically, what makes sense here is, uh, in the context of, of the, the letter, it's talking about people who are still remaining true to the word of God people who are still continuing to work. Um, There's some that remain pure and loyal. Um, It's held off from the beginning of the letter and actually mentioned a little bit later because of the rebuke that comes. Um, So the rebuke is that they have dead works. It's the dead church. It's the church that there's not really any fruit coming from what they're, they're doing. Um, realistically, this church mirrors its, its um, past, or the, the letter of this church um, mirrors its past better than any of the other ones that, that are in Revelation. Um, the city, like we talked about, was once a city of splendor. So was this church. But now... Their, their works are dead. Uh, it's in a state of decay. It's lost its original purpose and drive, and they're living off of their former glory. So when I, kinda, when I think about that, when I think about this church in specific, um, I, I think of some modern examples, um, much like some of the companies that exist these days. Um, think about, and some of the younger people might not even know some of them, Kodak, Blockbuster, right? Some of these companies that in the height of their empire, if you will, they were, they were huge. They made tons of money. They figured out a way to find something that people not so much needed but wanted, and they really exploited it. But as time went on, as things changed, they refused to keep up with the changes. Blockbuster could have been the new Netflix, but they didn't do anything like a change so that they could actually keep up with what was happening. Kodak, yeah, we're just going to keep printing pictures. Well, now they've got a kiosk here and there, but they really don't do a lot anymore. It's, uh, it's a very small company compared to what it was. So I, that, that's kind of what I think about when I think about Sardis here. Um, again, Jesus speaks to these people in a context that they're going to understand, because this city's been through this. The, they remember this from 600 years ago. It was, it's like their crowning glory fallen. 
So the call here, uh, sorry, so the dead works, um, they're not, they're not doing anything. They're riding on the coattails of their past. They're not actually doing anything now. It's their former reputation that they're hoping gets them through. So the call in verse 3, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. So keeping the word and repenting, that's what they're called to do. So Jesus is reminding his church that they once heard the gospel. They heard about Jesus. Um, It's really important to remember what the gospel teaches us. That's our roadmap. That's the life of Jesus. As Christians, Christian literally means Christ-like. We're called to be like Christ. We're called to continue living out what he's done until the end. So we just need to, we need to remember that. It's really important. Um, so much, so much of what we, we have to do rides on the gospel that the church here is told that it's imperative to the dying part of the body. The gospel is imperative to the dying part of the body. Jesus is in the resurrection business, though, right? Jesus isn't just going to let it die off. He's giving you a chance. He's telling them, this is what needs to happen. You can't just rely on what you did yesterday. You need to keep going with it. Just because you've made it through my 30 years doesn't mean you stop. You keep it going. So the desire for the church is to, to wake up and revive what's been lost. So now, the consequences here for disobedience is that Christ will come like a thief. So, again, remember, the fall of uh, Sardis happened in the night. It, it happened um, stealthily. So they came without any kind of warning and snuck in, and Sardis fell. So, again, he's using that kind of language. So... They were caught off guard, unaware, and the city fell from within. So that's the warning. Christ will, will let the church fall if they don't continue living out the way that he has said they should be living. But the promise here is that we'll be clothed in white garments and our names won't be blotted out of the book of life. And their names will be confessed before God and the angels. So the white garments here often... um, it's referring to um, Jesus' perfect righteousness. So a little later on, uh, it's a theme throughout Revelation, a little bit, the white garments. So we're going to be clothed in Jesus' righteousness. And he's going to cover us in ways that we can't ourselves. And that's the atonement, right? Um, We don't really deserve for it to happen, but he's going to do it for us anyway if we can continue living out the way that he wants us to. And then the book of life, that's a reference to the Old Testament again. Um, and it's what prom- uh, he's, he's promising, Jesus is promising in Luke 10. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven, right? So it's the guest list that gets you into heaven. We don't want to be off that list. To have your name erased is to have your ticket revoked, essentially. No entry. You're not tall enough, right? Um, So Jesus is also going to acknowledge our names 
as evidence that he knows us and claims us as his own. So how great of an honor would that be, hey? God, yes, I know Brian. I know Rob. I know Olga. These, these are mine. They're allowed in. These should be motivation enough to, uh, to move from a place where we want to continue our works and bear witness. Um, it should be that motivation to keep going and fighting the good fight and not giving up and saying, I did enough the last 30 years to get me through. So we want to make sure that our clothes aren't dirtied in sin and that we stay pure and reflect the transforming work of Christ. So what does that mean for us today? I've got one last quote before I wrap it up here. So this is from uh, a commentary here on Exodus. um, or Not Exodus. I'm living in the past. From Revelation (laughs) um, by uh, Daniel Aiken. Um, And he quoted uh, Chuck Swindle. Finally, a dead church lacks evangelistic and missionary zeal, turned inward on their own needs, preferences, and comfort. Unhealthy churches give half-hearted attention to the conversion of the lost. In contrast, living churches devote time, resources, and energy to both local evangelism and worldwide missionaries. In the message to Sardis, we see... That Christ revealed, uh, we saw that let Christ is revealed as the life giver. He alone grants spiritual vitality to those with a comatose or dying faith. In light of his urgent alarm to Sardis, all of us who tend towards spiritual stupor must turn from stale religious routine and embrace the abundant life only Jesus Christ can provide. He extends a sincere invitation to all of us. So, just because we've done things in the past and they were great things, it doesn't mean that what we're doing now is fantastic and what we're going to do tomorrow isn't, is fantastic. We need to keep pushing to make it fantastic and keep building that back up. I'm way over time. I apologize. So, wrapping it up. The last slide here. So, what, is, what do we need to be mindful of? Or, sorry, what, uh, what are we told Jesus is saying worth pursuing? Um, we should pursue a continued life of works that glorifies Jesus, um, and a love for our neighbors, and a life for purity, and faithful loyalty to Jesus. It's exactly what living out the gospel looks like. All we have to do is read the Gospels. Read how Jesus lived. That's the roadmap. We have to continue that. Uh, What do we need to be mindful of? We need to guard ourselves against being too tolerant of false teachings. Right? Just because we read something online or see it on TV, it doesn't mean that it fits with what Jesus has instructed us to do. I mean, every... (laughs) The, I, I remember a televangelist late one night. I turned on the TV. There was a televangelist on. It still gets me. He said, the Bible says, not even the Son of Man knows 
when Jesus will return. But I'll tell you, folks, I do. (laughs) Again, just because we see it on TV, just because we hear it, we read it, it doesn't mean that it's true. The Bible, that's what's truth. Um, So we need to be able to discern, and we need to learn to discern whether it fits within what we know that Jesus has taught us. So in that case, well, I'm sorry, I don't think that you do, because Jesus himself said he doesn't know. Um, We need to keep uh, the momentum going in our lives. We don't want to just skate by on what we have done. We want to keep it going and keep ramping it up and make it better, right? There's still a lot of amazing things that we as a church community and as individuals can do to further the kingdom of God and glorify it. So now, how do we make these things a reality? Even throughout difficult and hostile times like we live in right now, let's be honest, COVID is not the easiest time that any of us have ever seen. Um, I mean, I feel like the 90s were a much easier time than the late 20-teens. Um, even through all that, we can still work together as a community to glorify the kingdom. And this happens by making the great commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, love your neighbor as yourself, and the great commission, a part of our everyday life, living out that gospel. Um, we need to continue to repent for, for the things that we do, that we do stray off the path, Right? Jesus forgives. Jesus resurrects. He's not just going to condemn you because you, you know, I, I actually don't have an example for that one, but just because you had a little slip, repent. That's what we're called to do, and it, it happens constantly throughout these letters. Repent. Um, it's a part of the continual, continual process of our spiritual growth. And now, what are we promised if we can stay the course? We'll be given an everlasting, intimate relationship with Jesus. Both these churches have very similar promises in the end. We're being promised that everlasting life and relationship with Jesus. And we're going to be acknowledged by him in front of God and the angels as one of his own. He will claim ownership over us. And honestly, I, I mean, I, I'd rather him claim ownership than even myself. Um, he can do much greater things with me than I can do myself. Not I, but through Christ in me, right? So that's the key. I mean, the gospel is the key, even through into, into Revelation. The gospel is still the key. That's what we need to be living out. I'm going to pray real quick, and then um, I'll invite Pastor Nick up to... Um, lead us through the Lord's Supper. And I hope I wasn't too heretical up here myself today. I do not want to be a Jezebel. Alrighty. Pray with me. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you've given me the opportunity to be up here in front of my family. And Father, I just, uh, I ask right now that you would, um, you would use the words that were spoken today as some form of encouragement um, for people that need to hear about that, um, and that you would you would help us move from being you know 
the Jezebel church or the dead church or just Jezebel people or dead people into lives that are pleasing to you, um, into lives that we can, we can use to glorify your kingdom and further your kingdom, Father. And I just ask right now that um, anybody who's, who's heard this message that, that um, can really learn from it does. And Father, I just pray that you would, uh, you'd bless this family as we, we move through to the Lord's Supper. In your name, amen.